Uh, today, we actually have uh, one of my best friends in the world. He is the senior pastor of our Sending Church. So we were a church plant that um, came out of North Carolina, and he is now the senior pastor of that church plant. Um, more particularly, uh, for those of you who have not met him yet, uh, he is uh, one of my best friends in the world because we actually have grown up in the Lord together. Um, as I came to the Lord as a college student years ago at the University of North Carolina, Chapel Hill, um, we were there together and uh, learning to walk with Jesus together, learning to fight the battles of the Lord together, learning to love people and reach out to the Lord together. And he does this now, um, not only at his church in North Carolina, but really as a prophetic minister throughout the world, um, helping our churches and church plants. And so if you would, please welcome with a great round of applause, Pastor Reggie Roberson. are a mighty great church. Uh, I am so grateful uh, as well to be here to see how God is moving in your midst and how he is just doing amazing things and uh, being a part of what I just witnessed with the deacons is such uh, just an encouraging thing to my soul uh, to see how God just expanding this church and allowing people to step up into leadership. Um, I just want to, to give some love to, to Rollin and B, who, uh, who labor so diligently here in Chicago. How many of you appreciate Pastor Rollin and B and what they do? You know, we appreciate you so much. Thank you. They pray, they labor, they do so much. Uh, and they have, uh, I can tell you, this has been in their hearts for decades to be here, and uh, now they've been on the ground for almost a decade, uh, and I can just see so much of what God is doing, and I'm, I'm very excited, and I want to share with you guys, uh, as we near the end of this message, some things that I really feel like God's going to do in this church, uh, and, um, and how God is moving uh, through uh, this church in this particular season and time. Uh, I know you guys are getting ready to shift seasons, uh, and I, you may not be excited about that, but um, in the church, it's a good thing, okay? It's going to be a good thing. So I want us to, to, to take a moment to pray and ask God to speak to us this morning. Uh, and I, I believe that you've already seen some things this morning that has been speaking to your heart uh, about what maybe God is asking you to do or inviting you uh, to do as a part of his church. So let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for all that we've already experienced this morning. We want to give you thanks also for your deep and powerful love that you've shown to us through Jesus Christ, the love that we can experience even today through your Holy Spirit. Help us to have a depth of understanding of what you're calling us to as your church. In Jesus' name, amen. The title of this message is, uh, is going to follow in the series that you've been in, Back to Church, and I'm, I'm going to talk about servant leaders and God's mission. Servant leaders and God's mission to kind of follow the theme of this, this morning. Um, I was thinking about this message, and what came to my mind was my perspective and the perspective that a lot of our churches uh, are the members of the churches that I was a part of growing up had about lead pastors. I mean, lead pastors uh, were supposed to do everything and be everywhere. 
You know, anybody, I see people shaking their heads, yes. You know what I'm talking about? I mean, the, the, the lead pastor was supposed to be at every single hospital uh, a moment where, where a member was sick. Or and even when their kids were sick, the lead pastor was supposed to be there. I mean, the, the lead pastor was supposed to show up at every graduation, including Ph.D., graduate, all the way down to kindergarten. You know what I'm talking about? Anybody ever seen a kindergarten graduation before? You know, it was, that's one of my sons uh, graduated from kindergarten, getting ready to have a daughter do the same thing uh, in a few years. But they have them put on caps and gowns and all of that stuff now, getting them prepared for the future. You know, but the lead the lead pastor was supposed to be at that particular thing. The lead pastor was supposed to be at every single person's birthday party. I mean, if he wasn't there, it wasn't a special thing. And this is just how it was when I was, when I was growing up. The lead pastor was supposed to be at every funeral and do every funeral and do every wedding, even if they were at the same time, you know, somehow. He was supposed to be there. You know, it was, it was crazy. I was thinking about the lead pastor was supposed to memorize every person's name. Oh, come on, somebody. You know, l- l- listen, how many of you could do that? I would have just asked you that. Like right now, every person in here, you know their name. And the lead pastor was supposed to take every single phone call. Every person that requested a visit, a phone call, a moment, and, 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 and they were supposed to also be the best greeter, the best children's minister, the best youth pastor, the, the best person with outreach. I mean, the best teacher, counselor, advisor. Anybody hear what I'm saying? The lead pastor was supposed to do every single thing and be all of those things and somehow still give attention and love and leadership to their family. And this is the capstone of it all. And do all of that making a meager salary. How many of you would sign up today to be a lead pastor like I just described? Everybody shaking their head, no, I ain't doing it. No way. How many of you would sign up for that? I don't think any of us would. You know, how many of you think it is pretty unfair for us to expect and to approach church like that? I think it is completely unfair. I think it's completely unfair. I mean, here, here's, the, here's, the, here's the reason why. Is, is God thinks it's unfair. God himself thinks it's unreasonable to task the lead pastor with all of that. Why is this? Because it deprives God of fulfilling his mission. God has a particular mission to be fulfilled, and, and, and it's deprived by that. In what ways? Well, first, for the lead pastor... It deprives him of being able to serve God well and also to serve others well without burning out. Anybody know what I'm talking about, burnout? When you feel like you've had an out-of-body experience and you're just going through the motions, you're not feeling anything at that particular moment. It's just you're just doing it. You're not there. You're not present. Anybody ever have that happen where people are talking to you and you're in la-la land? This is what we're talking about. That, those could be signs of burnout, you know, or sleep deprivation. <laughs> well, God doesn't want the lead pastor to burn out. He loves them. Here's another thing that it deprives. It also deprives the actual church, the body of Christ, the members, the people, 
from being able to utilize their God-given gifts and their strengths and their abilities to help fulfill the mission that God wants them to fulfill. And that is why God thinks this is unreasonable. What we're going to see in this passage this morning, Acts chapter 6, 1 through 7, is God's approach to fulfilling his mission through the church, specifically through servant leaders. I want us to read this this text together. It's only seven verses. Um, As we look at this together, I want you to see kind of how God's approaching the church, how he thinks about it. It says, in those days when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the twelve gathered all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the Holy Spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them, and we will give our attention to prayer and ministry of the Word. Now, this proposal pleased the whole group. They chose Stephen a man full of faith and of the Holy Spirit, and also Philip and Procurius, Nicanor, Timon, Parmenius, and Nicholas for Antioch, a convert to Judaism. They presented these men to the apostles who prayed and laid their hands on them. And so the word of God spread, and the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly And a large number of priests became obedient to the faith. What's my main point this morning? Simply this. Here's the big idea is that we fulfill God's mission by accepting his calling, his appointing, and his anointing. Is we fulfill God's mission by accepting his calling, his appointing, and his anointing. I want to kind of flesh that out as we look again and consider the text that we just read. You know, the first thing that you read in this particular chapter is that there was a dispute between these widows, some who were Hellenistic widows and some who were Hebraic widows. And there was the dispute. Now, what's interesting about this is that up until this particular moment, there was no disputes within the church. You hear what I'm saying? All of the disputes came from people who were not a part of the church. And they were disputing the church and what the church was doing. And so in Acts chapter 5, right before this, what we find is that there's a group of leaders in in Jerusalem who are coming against these particular people, the 12, the apostles, because they're preaching Jesus and it is disrupting the whole city and, and the culture in that city. And these these individuals are seeing signs and wonders take place. People are giving their lives to Christ and becoming new people. And they're joining into this Christian community. And this group of people, these Pharisees or these leaders, by the way, the same ones who crucified Jesus, are now opposing the apostles and the twelve. And so they were disputing them and coming against them. 
But you know what? It wasn't working. Every time they opposed them, they got stronger. What happened was, is an angel actually, when they threw them in prison, came and freed these 12 from prison. And you know what? Instead of fleeing the city, they ran right back to the temple and started preaching again. And this scared them. In fact, one of the people in the, Fer- the, Fer- the Pharisee council, the leadership, said, hey, you know what? Uh, this is kind of crazy. Like, we might actually, if we try to kick them out, we might be kicking God out. So let's, let's not do that. Let's just see how God handles them. So they basically, at this particular point, take their hand off of them. But you know what I've learned many times is that if the devil can't try to tear you up externally, Sometimes he'll try to go after you internally. What do I mean by that? Is that what happens is now the dispute comes between, not with someone on the outside, but there's a dispute within the church. So what's happening here is that there is a threat to rip the church apart. I mean, to tear it to pieces that's happening within the church because of this dispute between the widows, these two types of widows. You might say, wow, why is this so detrimental? Well, because if there's a dispute and it gets torn apart, then the mission of God that he has will not be fulfilled. Now, here's a few things that could be said. Think about this. If the Hebraic Jews were getting served in the food distribution in a better way than the Hellenistic Jews, which are speaking of the Greek, the Jewish, uh, the Jewish uh, widows versus the Greek widows, the Christian ones. If they were getting served better, here's a few things that people would have said about them that would have branded the Christian movement. Here's how they would have branded them. They would have said, first of all, this movement, these Christians, they don't actually practice what they preach. They're preaching that we're supposed to take care of widows, look after people, but look what they're doing. These are a bunch of people that don't actually live what they're teaching. Could you imagine having a reputation like that? You don't live what you're preaching. So all of a sudden, it starts to undermine the mission that God has. Another thing that they would have said is they would have said, you know what? The world is better than than these Christians. Because at least the world, especially the Jews, were taking care of the widows, but the Christians are not even doing that. Anybody ever ever hear that before? Christians don't care about the world. They're not doing a good job or anything like this. Do you understand what's starting to happen here? The enemy's trying to brand the Christians in a certain way so that the mission of God can't be fulfilled. And here's the last one, and this one is sneaky and underhanded. You had Hellenistic Greek widows and Hebraic widows. And the Greeks were saying, hey, you're treating the the Hebraic or the Jewish widows are being treated better than us. So you know what what was happening here is the enemy was trying to brand the Christian movement as being only for a certain ethnicity. It's not for the Greeks. It's for the Jews only. That's interesting. I've heard this so many different places. Well, Christians, Christianity is only for this ethnicity or only for that ethnicity. And all of a sudden, it puts up this wall that is only for people like you. And so there is an attempt for the enemy to try to stop and stifle the movement. So what 
was God's response to this. We see God does three things. The first thing he does is he calls people into his mission. He calls them into his mission. He uses this circumstance for people to hear his voice. They become awakened. They become woke. Anybody ever heard that term? They're woke. They're woke to the issues, man. They know what's going on. This ain't right. He wakes them up. They're the woke church. And you can hear God saying through this particular passage, look, I'm calling you through a particular need to step up and help. Why? I don't want my mission to be hindered. This is what he's saying. I want my mission to be fulfilled, and it's going to require all of us serving in some way to see the mission fulfilled. This is what God's saying. And the apostles, they accepted the call, the 12. They accepted it and said, we're going to do this, and we're going to delegate, and we're not going to try to do everything. That's what you saw in here. We're not going to be that pastor that goes to the hospital, that goes to the birthday party. We're not going to kill ourselves doing all that. We're going to delegate and see the whole church get involved because we can't do everything if we're going to fulfill the, the mission of God. But at the same time, here's what you see, is you see the church stepping up and saying, you know what, there's a problem, and we're going to be problem solvers. We're going to help to solve the problems. We're not just going to complain. See, that's where they started at, right? It says there was a complaint between the Jews. But they, they went from being complainers to actually helping to be a part of the solution. Isn't that so good? See, as a church, God has called us to be participators and not spectators. Spectators will just sit back and they'll complain, they'll fault fine, and they'll say, you know what, I see this issue, but somebody else needs to take care of that thing. You know what I mean? It's kind of like I never forget people were, I was in Germany and, and we were in the airport and somebody had just dropped something. And that person just walked off. And it was right in the pathway and everybody was just walking by and looking at well, that mess, that mess, complaining about it. But nobody did anything about it. We're not called to be spectators but participators. We're not called to just sit on the bench. We're called to be in the game. We're called to be in the game. I tell you what, you know, it's so interesting, but we can see problems all around us, but not think solution. And then if you don't get in the habit of thinking solutions, like you're going to be a part of the solution, then what happens, starts to happen, is you start to shut down your creativity, and creativity is not going to flow through you like it should. We got to think that when we see things, we see problems, what's the solution? We got to go before God and pray and ask him just like they did. You know, I think this is so important. I'll, I'll never forget that I had a, a church member come to me, and she actually said to me, she was like, Reggie, her name is Lily. I told her I'd share this. She said, I, I, like, are we doing anything for the widows? Are we doing anything to help the shut-in and the people who are, like, hurting and, and, and don't have family? Are we doing anything for that? And she was kind of like pointing the finger at me. <laughs> and, and I was like, Lily, I would love to do that. I have a lot on my plate. But if you want to do that, then we as a church will be doing it. In other words, if you see the need, you take the lead. Everybody say that. See the need? Take the lead. So I said, Lily, 
I think this is a great opportunity for you to be involved in seeing this happen. And you know what? She said, okay. And so now she has a ministry helping the shut-in and the widows. She really, uh, and, and they're getting touched. She's sharing the good news with them. They have somebody in their lives that lets them know that God cares about them. That's a beautiful thing. She came to me recently as I was getting ready to come here, and she says, well, I also, read, I, I, Pastor Reg, I really think we need to have Bible studies where we go through a study, a book of the Bible together. I'm doing this with this group, Bible study fellowship, and I think we need this in our church. And I said, Lily, I think we need this in our church too. Now, I'm doing my part because we're actually going through books of the Bible. We're going through the book of Philippians right now. And I said, but a Bible study, a, a, a community group would be great to do that. Who do you think could lead that? She said, I hear you. <laughs> I said, exactly right. And so she said, I'm going to be planning and I'm going to get something together and I want to be a part of leading a group and organizing more group leaders to lead. You see that? We're called to be participators, not spectators. If we see need, we take the lead. We go, we present that to our pastors, we work with him. So my question for you this morning is, can you hear God's voice calling you to serve in a particular area? Can you hear him calling you? What problems or potential issues do you see that you believe God wants to address? How can you be a part of the solution to be a problem solver? What are some of the gaps that you see? That's my question for you this morning. I want to talk about the next thing that we see God doing. God doesn't just call people into this mission, but he appoints people for his mission. I want to talk about appointing people for this mission. One of the things you see in this story is we find that the apostles and the people reach a very important point and moment of clarification about this particular issue of appointment. Now, how many of you, your, your bandwidth got stretched at some particular point, and that brought about a clarification of what you considered to be a priority and what you didn't? How many of you have ever been there before? I have been there a lot of times, and it's like, man, I need, to, I need clarification because there are other things encroaching on my life. And maybe even squeezing the life out of me so I have to prioritize. And this is what we see happening with the disciples here with the 12. They reach this point of clarification. They realize we can't do everything, but they can do some things. And so what, how do they, what do they prioritize? Here's what they say in verse 2 and 4. They say, we can't neglect the ministry of the word for waiting on tables we have to give attention to prayer in the ministry of the word. That's the clarification they have. And that prayer is private, but it also means to lead prayer with the believers. That's what we need to give our attention to. Why? Jesus did that. They were following in the pattern after Jesus. The other thing is the ministry of the word. And what that means is that they're actually sharing the word or God of the Bible in a way that equips people to understand the Bible and then be able to share it themselves with other people. And this is what they see as their priority as they meet, reach this moment of a clarification about their appointment. If they don't do this, the mission of God is stifled. 
The mission of God gets hindered. And so they say, this is what we need to do. It becomes so clear to them that they must do this, but they also must invite others into the stewardship or managing the mission of God for the church. It can't just be them. It has to be the entire church coming around and also being a part of that. See, God was appointing not just the apostles to do the mission, but he was appointing the whole church to do the mission. He wanted everyone to promote it. So then they appointed some of the people within the church to serve the widows, and they're using their God-given strengths and abilities to do so. And this shows us two important truths that I want to highlight. The first truth is this, is that every task is important. I want you to say that with me. Every task is important. Waiting on tables was not a menial task. It wasn't just like, oh, you know what? I don't really want to do that. You ever have something that you're like, yeah, you know, maybe somebody else will do that because I really don't want to do that. I don't want to clean that up. I don't want to be a part of that. That wasn't what the disciples were thinking in this moment. They were thinking this is an important responsibility, but we have a particular responsibility with God to actually minister the word in prayer. Somebody, though, needs to take this on. This is an important one. Let me show you why I believe that they thought this was important. This is so important. In other words, they they, they felt like God, through taking care of the widows, wanted to show his care and his love for them. He, they were caring about the things that God cares for. In and, and, and Exodus 22-24, look what God says to Moses and to the Israelites. Do not take advantage of the widow or the fatherless. If you do, and they cry out to me, I will certainly hear their cry. How many of you think this is pretty serious? All right, it's getting more serious. Listen to this. My anger will be aroused. God's going to get angry? See, a lot of us think he's angry at us because of sin or something like this. You know what? Yes, God does not like sin, but, oh, he hates injustice. Look at this. Listen listen to this. Then he says, my anger will be aroused, and I will kill you with the sword. Whoa. Didn't expect to come to church this morning and hear that. Now, remember, he's talking about people who are taking advantage of widows and fatherless. For God, he doesn't, he, he can't take that. He's, he gets angry. What does he say? What's going to happen? I will kill you with the sword. Your wives will become widows and your children will become fatherless. In other words, you're going to incur the judgment for which you, met, you dealt out to other people. This is a serious matter. This is not a menial task. This is a very serious task. And the church responded in this particular moment to this incredible thing to take care of the widows. Now, here's, a, here's an example. I mean, a task that we could think is menial. What about a parking lot team? What about greeters? Greeters in the parking lot team. Is that just a menial thing? And that's whatever. You know, that's, that, that's not important. I have a picture of, uh, I think, here of our parking lot team uh, in North Carolina. Um, and What's interesting is that there's, there's some guys, <laughs> kind of looks like ZZ Top back in the day. If you, I don't know if you know that. But there's, you can see the blurry people behind them, but they're serving guests as they're coming in to our church. And it seems like a medial task, but it's not. It's actually not. 
Let me, let me, let me um, read something to you. This was a survey that we gave to guests last week. When they came, we asked them this question, what did you notice first? Here's what, the, here's what one guest said. I noticed the special attention to making guests feel welcome. The yellow designations in the parking lot, the guest tent, a gift bag, guest greeters. How many of you are greeters? Made us feel very welcome and at ease. That last word is so important. They said it made them feel at ease. What does that mean? Is that they were in a place where they could actually receive the gospel. They could hear from God. They could have some of their things in their hearts dealt with and healed and strengthened because they were put at ease. Do you see that? It's not a menial task. Every task is important. Here's another truth about this appointment. When God appoints us for a task, it's important. But when God appoints us also for a task, it shows us that every person is valuable. Every single person is valuable. You know, every one of you in this room, you have some type of God-given strength and ability and some opportunities to, to, to be able to fulfill the mission that God has given you to fulfill. Every one of you has something important to contribute. And what's interesting is that we find in this story that the church itself rises up in uh, not just the seven, but all of them to help solve this particular problem. They all have arisen and said, we're going to solve this problem. We're going to do something about this. I have, I have a particular friend um, in our church. His name is Justin. And uh, Justin really, he's, he's been trained as a health coach. Uh, kind of like a life coach. Anybody ever heard of that? Like a life coach, health coach. You know, very helpful. He's trained in that, but he really has a heart for young people, young professionals, uh, especially those who are kind of transitioning out of college and into what he calls the real world. And they're playing grown up, you know. And so he he has a heart for them. So I w- I was talking with him about his role in the church, and he decided. I actually want to lead that particular ministry. I want to, I want to lead groups and others related, that are young professionals in that age group. And he has been such a blessing to all of us. But he didn't just do that within the church. He also decided to do it outside of the church. What happened was uh, a few years ago, uh, Justin got news that his dad had suddenly died from a heart attack. And that was a real hard thing for him because he loved his dad and he was very close to him. And so Justin took months to consider and ponder, what can I do to honor my dad? I love him. And what fits with the passions that I have? And so what he decided to do was to create what he calls a C.L. Thomas, which is his dad's name. Mr. Thomas, at C.L. Thomas Fellowship, where he gathers young men together. And in this fellowship, as they gather, they come together, they discuss and read books about what it means to be a provider. And he defines provider as someone who blesses others and protects others. Blesses and protects. 
And these guys get together in a nine-month program. At the end of it, all of them are awarded a type of scholarship, if you will, to go towards whatever they need in life and whatever they want to. But these men learn that, how to be providers. That's what he did. When he encountered tragedy, he saw it as an opportunity. How do you view tragedy? What is your passion? What has God put in your heart to do? That C.L. Thomas Fellowship now is, has gone from one to three, and he has two of them in Ireland, of all places. He's got two, one in, in, in Dublin and another in, 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 um, in uh, Belfast. Is that what it's called? What is it? I'm, I'm, I'm getting my name. Is it Belfast? That's what it is. Okay. He's expanding this thing all over the world. That was his passion. What's your passion? What has God given you the ability to do? What's your strengths? What's your gifts? How are you will- what are you willing to do to help this church, Second City Church, fulfill the mission that God's given it? That's a question for you to consider this morning. Last thing here. That we see God does. He doesn't just call. He doesn't just appoint. He anoints. I want to talk about that. That's an interesting word. There's an anointing of people for his mission. See, these seven guys, actually, the scholars consider them to be the first deacons. We just saw, we got close. We were at six, right? Six. <laughs> there were seven. And these are the first seven guys that, that, that we thought, we think, and we believe are the deacons. And deacon is just a word in, in, in this original language that means helper. But it's speaking of not just a helper, but a servant leader, a, a, a person who serves in leadership or is the leadership or a leader in service. And that's what this is speaking of with deacons. And we, we find that the, the, this passage tells us that they were chosen by the congregation And then the apostles laid hands on them, just like you saw us do today, and prayed for them and blessed them and activated a new power in their lives to be able to fulfill the mission connected to the church. And so that's what we just did. We just did exactly what you see here in this particular text. The power that was activated in them through the laying on of hands that God activated. That power is what we call the anointing. It's the, it's the grace that God gives us to release his wisdom, his power, and his goodness in a new measure. That's the anointing. So why was it that they were anointed, and what was the basis of the anointing? I want to propose here in verse 5, it says this. It says that, that these men were full of faith and the Holy Spirit. They were full of faith and the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? It simply means this right here, is that they were known by the people. They did not have a private faith. They were not, we didn't have to figure out what they were or who they were or what they were about. You know, I know there's so many people who say, man, I'm just, I'm serving God, but it's private, man. My mom life is private. No one else should know about me. That's not the case here. If that were the case here, the problem wouldn't have been solved. But because people actually knew them, 
They lived this way in front of them. What does that mean? They attended church regularly. It means that they went to community groups. It means that they were actually faithful. I love that word faithful. It's, there's an acronym for faith. They were men of faith. Faith means faithful, available. They were involved. They were teachable. They were hungry. This is what you see with them. And God said, because of that, I'm going to put my anointing on them to help them to solve the problems and advance the mission of the church. Here's another thing. When it, when it speaks about them being filled with faith, what it's saying is that when people looked at their lives, they could actually see that they had confident trust in God. And their confidence in God came out in what they said, and it came out in what they did. They said, these men, we're happy with them because this is what we see in their lives. They're full of faith. And it also says they were full of the Holy Spirit. What does that mean? Is that when you're around these men, you can actually feel the presence of God in their lives. You can feel the presence of the Holy Spirit. And they had the fruit of love in their lives, the fruit of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control, faithfulness. This is what they had in their lives. They could, people could see that. They could sense that. And, and, and when they prayed for people and, and when they taught and they shared things with people, the power of God would come through the Holy Spirit. And people would sense that. And so God says, these are the people we want to anoint, the, 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 the congregation. It's like all of us choose right here. If we look around us, choose seven. Who would you choose? The question is, who do you know in here? What would people say about your life? Can they see that you're full of faith? Can they see that the Holy Spirit is in your life? Do they see the fruit of the Spirit? Do they see the Holy Spirit expressing himself through through, through prayers, signs and wonders, through words from God. What would they say about you? Would people even know that you're a Christian, that you're a follower of Christ if you're a Christian here today? Would they know that? Would they be able to say that? The people you work with, the people that on your team, the people that you live next to, your neighbors, the people you see in the grocery store regularly, the restaurants that you like to go to a lot, like that Indian restaurant. I enjoyed that, man. That was awesome. Could they, would they be able to say, eh, that person's a Christian? They follow Christ. If you're a believer in Christ, here's the good news. God has given you a measure of faith. So you have faith, and if you're a believer in Christ, you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you. What that means is you have the potential of being full of the Holy Spirit. He's there, but now you have to give him access to the rest of your life by listening to him, yielding to him, praying and being in conversations with him. You have the potential to be just like these men who are servant leaders that are answering the problems that are in the church and in the world because the Holy Spirit lives on the inside of you. 
Isn't that awesome? Praise God. You have that potential. Let the Holy Spirit move in you, and you'll be able to see just an amazing, powerful harvest of souls and people being impacted. Here's the last thing I want to say. What's the reason why that God does all of this? Why is he calling them? Why is he appointing them? Why is he anointing them? What is all of this about? It's right here in verse 7. It says, so the word of God spread. And the number of disciples in Jerusalem increased rapidly. Everybody say rapidly. That's it. And a large number of priests, which you say, that's a weird thing to put in the Bible. But they were the most antagonistic. So if you think of some of the most antagonistic people that you know against the gospel that actually hate Christianity, those are the people that will be saved as a result of the whole church saying, we're going to serve and be a part of the answer and not a part of the problem. Many became obedient to the faith. When everyone did this, the church flourished. And all of this was to fulfill the mission that God had in Christ. What was that? Christ Jesus became, was God who had become a man. And why did he become a man? So that he could live a perfect life, so that he could die a death that was a perfect sacrifice for every single one of us. Why do we need a sacrifice? Because we sin. Because we are disobedient to God, because we're rebellious towards God, because we want to do things our own way. A lot of people, when they hear the word sin nowadays, they don't know what that means. They're like, well, I don't know what that means. It means you want to do what you want to do. It means that you are the Lord or king of your own life. And any person that disregards God and has themselves as the king of their own life and doing their own thing, you are in sin. And so what Jesus did is he died for you so that your sin can be forgiven. He, put the, he took the punishment and the penalty for all your sins. And not only that, not only would you receive forgiveness of sins, but you can also be in a relationship with the heavenly father who created you, who knows you, who loves you, who defines you, who spilled, who had Christ spill his blood for you. And you can relate to him and know him as a son and daughter. You may say, man, I don't have a good relationship with my parents. I pray you would have one. But I want to tell you what. What parents' role really is, is always to point you to Jesus and your heavenly father. I am trying to teach all of my kids, hey, listen, I'm, my, I'm your dad, but I'm imperfect. How many of you know that? I make mistakes. You have a heavenly father who is perfect. You have one that will never, ever make a mistake that loves you. And you get to be in relationship with him when you receive Christ as your Lord and you make him your savior. And not only does does he do that, but he also gives us an internal inheritance. You say, hey, you know what? I don't have much to show for my life. Here's the good news, is when you know Jesus, every time you set your heart to being obedient to the faith, every time you obey him, 
and you serve, just like he's calling you, just like he's appointed you, just like he's anointed you to do, you get a reward in heaven, an eternal inheritance. You may not have a big, own a lot of land here on this life. You may not be able to say that you have a trillion dollars like we were talking about with Google and, and, and Apple and all these different companies. Listen, but you have something, all of that, you realize that's going to get burned away and it's, gonna, it's, it's not going to last forever. But what God wants to give you will last forever and ever and ever. An eternal inheritance and a family. And you'll never die. You'll never get sick. And you'll be able to fulfill all the, the potential that God's placed in you. That's the good news. That was the reason that God appointed, he called and anointed these people to do the mission. I want us to take a moment to pray. I'm going to share one last story with you. There's a young lady that my wife had a chance to meet. Um, and we, whenever we're bringing people into our church, we have one last meeting with them to just find out where they want to serve in the church. Because for us, being a member of the church means you also serve in the church. You're active, right? You're called the body of Christ. And so we, we were talking with her about how to serve my wife was, and she heard her story. And to our surprise, this lady, her name is Rashida, she shared to us that she had just come in months earlier, and she came from a Muslim home. She was a Muslim. Somehow God drew her to the church. When she came to the church, she ran into the parking lot team. She ran into the greeters. She experienced the worship. She was enamored by the message, heard the good news, and she decided to come back. And coming back and coming back and coming back, and eventually she gave her life to Jesus. Even growing up in a Muslim home. See, everybody that served had a role in her salvation. Every single task is important. Every person is valuable. Let's take a moment to pray. Father, we just thank you for this word. And I believe that you're moving right now on hearts. And you're highlighting things. Some of us don't know where we'll find the time to be able to serve. But Lord, we're committed to using the gifts that you've given us to overcoming our fears if you're in here today and you say, I just, I hear it. I hear God's voice. He's calling me. I need to be involved. I need to serve in his mission. I have not been able to do this, but I'm willing if the Lord, if the Lord will guide me in this and show me, regardless of my time, I'm going to try to do this. Just raise your hand right now. I want to pray right now for you. Is there anybody like that? Any, anyone else? You say, I want to serve in the mission. I want to help this particular church become everything that God has called it to become. I see your hand. Anyone else? This is good. God's speaking to you right now. Lord, I just pray for every hand right now, every person. Lord God, they are important. They're valuable. You're speaking to them. Lord, let your presence come. Some of you are fearful because you don't know how's it going to look. What am I going to do? 
I, I, I'm so busy. Um, I feel like I need to do this. That's okay. God is going to help you if you just say, Lord, whatever you want to do in my life, will you do it? I surrender to you for your mission. I want to pray for anyone in here today that you did not understand what God, what Jesus did for you, what God did in Christ for you through Jesus, dying for your sins. You've never confessed him as your Lord and Savior. You never removed yourself from the throne of your own life and put Jesus there and said, Jesus, you're going to be my God. I'm going to follow you. And I am going to receive forgiveness of sins. I'm going to be a part of your family forever and ever. And I'm going to have this eternal inheritance. If that's you, I want you to raise your hand right now. And you say, I want this. I want to know Jesus. I want to walk with him. I see your hand. Anyone else? Is there anyone else? This is your opportunity. You don't know what's going to happen after today. And I want to tell you. If you know Jesus today, if anything were to happen tomorrow, you would be in eternity with him and you would have an inheritance. You would be in the presence of peace, joy, love that comes from God forever and ever. I see your hands. I want you to pray this prayer with me under your breath. You can say, Lord Jesus, thank you for dying on the cross for me. I confess I'm a sinner. But I believe that you rose from the dead so that my sins can be forgiven as you died on the cross. Heavenly Father, thank you for loving and creating me. Thank you for allowing me to be your son. Or if you're a daughter, say daughter. Holy Spirit, help me to follow in your ways and to serve you all the days of my life. Help me to fulfill your mission, to respond to your call, your appointment, and your anointing. In Jesus' name.